Well, okay, hey, got your Bibles, hold them up. Let me see the Word of God. Got your Bibles or your, whole, your smartphones or whatever it is you got. Okay, man, the, 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 this, this is an important thing. If you name the name of Christ, the Bible's an important thing. Okay, you know, a, a, a cop, a sheriff ain't gonna go out on duty without his gun, without his taser, without his club. He's not gonna go out without his, his ticket book. I just got a ticket from a sheriff the other day. They, they got those handy. Told everybody last night about my ticket I got. I got a problem with my foot. I, I do. I, I, it's not me. It's my foot. And, uh, and they, he had his ticket book handy, and I just, I'm used to doing this. That's my, that's my registration, <laughs> my insurance, and my license. I just have it in a little pack, and I just hand it out, <laughs> hand it out the window, man. And, um, and they always ask you that dumb question. You know why I pulled you over? I, I was speeding. I know I was. <laughs> Can you get this thing going? Now I got to speed even faster to get to my appointment when, when, when we're done here. Um, and for those of us that name the name of Christ, the, the, you know, this is just a part of the gig. And this is a church that believes in the Bible, the whole Bible, and that, that's the key word, and nothing but the Bible. We don't believe in just part of it, we believe in the whole thing. And if you believe in the whole thing, then you have to believe in the truth and the whole truth. And once again, that, that's the key word, the whole truth. And nothing but the truth, which means that we have to be a church that believes the gospel, the whole gospel, and nothing but the gospel. And if you don't own a copy of the word of God, it really is one of the great things we love to do, is all you have to do is go into the altar room afterwards. There's an altar room over in the venue. Uh, you can come down here on Monday if you're watching online and, and just say, I need a copy of God's Word, and we, we'd be more than happy to give you one. It's one of the things that we give a, a lot away. So, But if you don't have a Bible, all of the verses are in your program, or they'll come up on the Jumbotrons, because we want you to see the Word of God uh, for yourself. We are in a series where we're going through the Book of Romans together, and so you can, you can turn there. If you have the right Bible, it's page uh, 1053. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and today we're going to look at a few of the verses. Once again, I'm, I'm not going to make it through the, the whole thing. Um, but in these first few verses in Romans chapter 2, Paul begins to unpack the, the sin that Jesus dealt with more often than any other sin. He dealt with this in a very uh, severe way, um, which is the sin of self-righteousness, which is related to, to legalism. They're kind of like, like first cousins. And Chuck Swindoll calls self-righteousness the, the deadliest sin in the world. That's very descriptive, isn't it? The, the deadliest sin in the world. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that, but before we do, we have our weekly Not Ashamed video. And this week, you're going to meet just a fantastic young high school kid in our church ministry. And uh, so check out the Jumbotrons. Going to a public school and being a Christian and being vocal about my faith wasn't always accepted, and it still isn't. Last year, being a junior, I was in an English class where my faith wasn't always something that was accepted by people around me, especially my teacher. My teacher would say comments about Christ that were false. One day she stood in front of the class and said, God is only an illusion, that you can only believe in him by faith, and that's the only way he's believed in. I knew that to be false, but some of my classmates might not have. In March, 
we were assigned a research project. We were told that we could pick basically any topic we wanted with a few exceptions, and Christianity was not one of those exceptions. I found myself excited to share the gospel with my classmates and my teacher, but when I remember those comments she made, I became fearful. Fear kind of overtook my excitement, and I became afraid of what she would say to me. I became afraid of being embarrassed and publicly ridiculed for it, and my prayer became asking God, like, what do I do? Is this what you want me to do? Is, is this what I should do? Is go in front of the class and talk about my faith. I came across a verse, Matthew 5:11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I realized that it doesn't matter what anyone says about my faith, because ultimately God is in control, and ultimately I did it to glorify God. Presentation day came, and the nerves were there a little bit. But my prayer had moved from, God, what do you want me to do? To, I want this to glorify you. I prayed that he would work in the students' hearts around me and my teachers, and that he would use me to speak his truth. I got to share about the history of Christianity. I got to share significant events, like the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I got to even prove that the Bible is true based off of archeological evidence. But the biggest and most important thing I got to share that day was that God loves us so much that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so we can have salvation and have eternal life in heaven. My teacher didn't say anything to me afterwards, but I saw that she was much more careful about what she was saying and what she said when Christ or God would get brought up. Students around me just thought it was a good topic to do. They were happy that I did it. And one of my good friends, he was just so excited and thought it was so cool that I got to share my faith with the kids and my teacher around me. I was afraid that I'd be singled out for believing in God. At the end of the day, it didn't matter. If God was for me and if God was with me, then nobody and nothing could stand against me. My name is Allie Crook and I am not ashamed of the gospel. Yeah, one of the things I, I, I love about this particular series um, are these videos that we're doing. We do a lot of really great things here, but it's fun to be able to meet some of the people in our fellowship in a special way. And Allie and her family sit right up there. They were here last night, and afterwards I was talking with her and her mother uh, uh, and father. She's going to be a senior at Enoch's High School next year. And uh, the conversation shifted. And I was born and raised here in this town. This is my town. And so last week when I had us all stand and we prayed for that crummy adult strip club that's trying to get into our town, the cabaret, you know, I don't want things like that in my town. And, I, and, and, and here's the deal, Here, here's the deal. I, I can't stop individually. I'm not a city council member. I don't sit on the planning commission or anything like that but I can pray and I can get you to pray for those kinds of things. I love my town, I love my town. And this is a great town. Gets a lot of bad publicity, gets a lot of bad press and all of that kind of stuff. And one of the things I love about this town has got a lot of great churches in it, a lot of great churches in it. And her parents, we were talking last night, they knew me before I knew Christ. And we just sat out there for a long time and talked about 
life before I knew the Lord. And how much their family, the Crook family, influenced me. Inviting me to church and all of those kinds of things. When I was but a teenager, they weren't ashamed of the gospel. I didn't give my life to Christ, you know, in one of those meetings over there, but I know the Lord used the fact that they weren't ashamed and to meet their daughter, I know Allie, but to see her now on her campus, not ashamed of the gospel, doing what she can to be salt and light there. It's a beautiful story, just just a a beautiful story. I'm uh, just grateful to all you guys in the media department and the hard work you guys put in. Now, here's the deal. Why would... uh, Chuck Swindoll say that the sin of self-righteousness is the deadliest sin in the world. Beloved, it's the deadliest sin in the world because the self-righteous person believes that because they live a moral lifestyle, that somehow they're exempt from God's wrath. I mean, why would God be angry with them? They're, They're a good person. They're good neighbors, they're good parents, they're good employees, they volunteer helping out at the senior center, they give money to the homeless shelters, they're model citizens. The police or the sheriff's department isn't gonna show up at their house you know, and raid their house because of dope or drugs or whatever. These are good, good, moral people. And because of this, it's very hard for the self-righteous person to see their need for a savior because in their mind, God couldn't possibly be angry with them. They can understand that God would be angry with evil people. They understand that God would be angry with Hitler or Scott Peterson or you know the, the guy running drugs down the street. They get that. They're not Charlie Manson. Yes, God's anger and wrath will be poured out on those individuals. That's a no-brainer. But there's no way that God is angry with me. I'm a good person. They believe that if there is a heaven, you know, then it's a no-brainer that they're going to be there. Just like it's a no-brainer that Charlie Manson ain't going to be there, right? That's kind of the mindset that they have. Dr. MacArthur said this, quote, The self-righteous make two grave errors. Number one, they underestimate the height of God's standard of righteousness, which encompasses the inner as well as the outer life. And they underestimate the depth of their own sin. Here's the deal. God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't look at your life and the life of somebody else and the life of somebody else and then Hitler and, and then whoever and then go, okay, here, here's kind of the curve and here, here's who kind of makes it. The Bible says in Romans chapter three, for everyone has sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Section This first section of Romans, Romans chapters 1 through 3, is all about God laying out, um, filleting human beings, if you will, and he's just using the pen of Paul. Paul's kind of like the prosecuting attorney, and all of humanity is on trial. And Paul is just laying out the case that all of us stand guilty 
before the judge, the judge, God. And it all crescendos in Romans chapter 3 where Paul says, we've all sinned and we all fall short of God's standard. God has a standard. And the standard isn't Charlie Manson. We all can cross that bar. The standard isn't Hitler. We can all cross that bar. The standard isn't, you know, some hell's angel running drugs down the I-5. We can all cross that bar. The standard is God's son. It's perfection. And so we all stand guilty before God because we've all sinned. And so with this, I want to read our text. Romans chapter 2, look at verse 1. Paul says, you may think you can condemn such people. And and he's talking about the people in Romans chapter 1. We looked at that, that two weeks ago. Those people that had suppressed the truth about God, those that had rejected the truth about God, and those that had replaced the truth about God. And then he lists a number of really crummy things that people like that do. And he's saying this, you you think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you condemn yourself. For you who judge others do the very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. God's going to punish anybody who sins. It's going to happen. Since you you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now I told you last week, And I got a lot of emails about this, and so I'm going to take a side road today because I think it's important. I told you last last week that the key word in this passage is the word condemn. It literally means to pass a verdict. And the major message in this text is that nobody has the right to condemn other people for their sin because you stand condemned by your own sin. Paul is telling us that nobody has the right to pass judgment on somebody else, to pass a sentence on somebody else for their sin because we all stand condemned for our own sin. Here's the deal. There's a a wonderful thing that happens to those of us who give our lives to Christ, something unbelievable takes place. 
It's almost too much to really comprehend. But the Bible says this in Romans chapter 5. It says, and the result of God's gracious gift is different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation for everybody, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everybody. Here's what Paul is saying. In Genesis chapter three, everything goes haywire. Adam, one man, makes the decision to blow God off. One guy makes the decision to disobey God. He sins, and sin is now brought into the world at that moment, Romans chapter, or Genesis chapter three. At the very moment that Adam sinned, we had to have a police force. We had to have sheriffs and, and PDs, and we, we had to have you know, the highway patrol. We had to build prisons, and we had to have guards and, and jails. We had to have armies because once sin entered the world, man, it just messed up humanity. The teaching of the Bible is that everybody is evil. Some are just more evil than others. That's what the scriptures teach. Because of Adam's sin, one guy, we're all evil. All of us have been tainted by sin. But then Paul says, but hold on. Yes, one guy messed it all up. But there's another guy. Jesus, the Messiah, the gospel. He came, he was born in the city of, of David. 2,000 years ago, he grew up, lived a perfect sinless life. He was put on a cross. They put him in a tomb, and three days later, he walked out of the tomb. And he said, hey, anybody who puts their trust in me, anybody who would surrender their life to me, Jesus says, anybody who would repent of their sin and allow me into their life, I'll come into their life, and I'll cleanse them of all unrighteousness. I will take the condemnation that one man brought. I'll do it. And I'll set you free. You'll no longer be under the condemnation of God. And so what Paul is saying is, is that yes, one man, Adam, brought sin into the world, brought condemnation to everybody, but one man, Jesus, can set us free from that condemnation. Which is why Romans chapter 8 says, So now there is no condemnation for who? For those who belong to Christ Jesus. At the moment you give your life to Christ, or at the moment you gave your life to Christ, something beautiful happened. You, you went from being a condemned sinner. to being a set-free saint. And it's not our job to condemn people. Their sin has already done that. They're already condemned. Now here, here, here's the deal though. 
There is a role for us as believers to confront each other's sin. Me having a conversation with you about your sin is different than me passing a sentence against you or condemning you. Those are two different things. All throughout the New Testament, God uh, gives us some data about how he wants us as believers to operate. He says this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. If you got a half a cell working there, and I know you do, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If you see somebody, maybe they're in the men's group, maybe they're in the women's ministries, maybe they're in your small group, maybe they're in the youth department, maybe they're in prime time, you, you know somebody, they're a brother or a sister in the Lord, and you, you see them living contrary to the word of God, they're living in sin, you have a responsibility as their brother in the Lord to go to them and have a conversation with them about their sin. You're not condemning them. That's already been dealt with. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Jesus doesn't condemn them anymore. The wrath of God isn't hanging over their head anymore. They're a believer. They're just caught up in sin. And so you're to go to them and say, hey, man, don't live like that. That's crummy. It's going to mess up your life. It's going to mess up your family. It's going to mess up your marriage. It's going to mess up your business. It's just going to mess up a lot of stuff. Don't do that. Don't live like that. We all need that. Bringing condemnation is one thing, but talking with a brother or sister in the Lord about their sin is, is totally different. God wants us to do that. In fact, Paul goes on in Galatians and says, he says, share each other's burdens and in, the same, and in this way you're obeying the law of Christ. In other words, he's saying this, when you go and you have a conversation with somebody who is in sin, that's a way that you bear their burden. The Bible says that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love others as ourselves. It's one of the ways that you fulfill the, great, the greatest commandment to love others. When you go and you say, hey, I love you so much, I'm not going to let you live in sin. Don't do that. Don't live like that. That's a crummy thing to do. So there's a difference between condemnation and having a conversation with somebody about their sin. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. 
I meant that you are not to associate with someone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idol, uh, uh, idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those that are inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those that are on the outside, but the scripture says you must remove the evil person from among you. Once again, the scriptures are crystal clear that when we have somebody within the church, within our small group, when our men's ministry tables, our women's ministries tables, our, our youth ministry small groups, and we got small groups all over the place, you know somebody, it could be somebody in prime time, and you know they're living in sin, you are to go and deal with it. It's, it's, it's the most loving thing that you could possibly do for somebody. If you see me living in sin, and you drive by the glow worm, you know, off of Yosemite, and you see my car parked there all the time, please, somebody come and talk to me. The last thing I need you to do is love me so much that you would allow sinful activity like that to go on in my life. Please love me enough to come to me and say, hey, you know, Pastor, I, I've seen your car in front of the glowworm. unless you're doing a revival in there. <laughs> you know, I, I, I got the feeling that's probably not, not a good place to hang out. You know, I, you know don't, 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 don't do that kind of a thing. Come on, don't live like that. Now why? Why does God want us to confront sin when it's in the church? Here's the deal. He wants us to confront sin within the church because he wants his church to be holy. The church is supposed to be different than how the world's living. The, the church is to be a holy place, a separated place, the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. Christ wants his bride to be holy. And so we have the responsibility to do all that we can to keep the church holy. And when sin is just running amok within the church, then the church begins to look like everything else. The world is not going to confront sin and evil. That's why we got guys with badges on. But within the church, we all have badges on, if you will. We're supposed to go to somebody and say, hey, bro, man, what are you doing winking at her like that? You got a wife at home. Don't do that. That's wrong. That's crummy. Because winking leads to something else. And I care about you too much to allow that to go on. Or maybe you're dealing with anger, or maybe you're dealing with porn, or you're dealing with alcohol. I don't know what it is you're dealing with, but we understand the fact that people deal with stuff. That's why we got Celebrate Recovery here, and 500 people show up here on a Tuesday night, because they understand that the church is to be a holy place, and they're living in a crummy way, and they're trying to grab a hold of holiness. 
The sanctification process is an important thing for those of us that name the name of Christ. It's not okay to be goofed up with porn. It's not okay to be goofed up with anger. It's not okay to be goofed up with alcohol or drugs or whatever it is. It's not okay. And we love you enough to where we're going to have a conversation with you and say, hey, look, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just here to have a conversation with you. But here's the thing. We also have some wonderful ministries here that will help you. You come down here on Tuesday night and see 500 people here. It's unbelievable. Our, our Celebrate Recovery for a little podunk city like Modesto, a little church like ours, have 500 people in it, tells me that our people understand the importance of holiness. They understand the importance of becoming more and more you know, transformed into the image of Jesus. They understand it. They get it. And in their current state, they're stuck, if you will. And Celebrate Recovery is a wonderful place to come and say, wow, I'm goofed up. I don't look like Jesus in this area of my life. Help me. And we get into the Word of God together. We get you in small groups, guys with guys and gals with gals. We even have a, the landing here. We got like 30 teenagers in our landing, which is the, the Celebrate Recovery for, children, for teenagers. Fantastic. Praise the Lord for, for that. But here's the deal. Here's where I, I decided I was going to do something different. And I don't know if it was of the Lord or not. I, I don't know. I just made a decision and I'm going with it. Because we're not going to do the little thing you got in your program. I put that together on a Wednesday. And God sometimes works on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's weird. It's weird how that works. <laughs> and so I decided that this was important because I got a lot of emails, 100 emails, over 100 emails about this. Because yes, we are to have conversations with each other, but one of the things I have found in my own life, too, is I don't always do that really well. That moment, even though I'm a, kind of a pro at it, I, I, it's kind of what I do. I'm always talking with people about their sin. I'm an expert when it comes to sin. Isn't that weird? I deal with people's sin all day long. I deal with my own sin. I've been dealing with my own sin for 55 years. I'm very acquainted with sin, how it works, how it operates. The Bible tells me all about it. I've been studying this book for decades now. But the beautiful thing also is I understand redemption from sin. So I want to give you four thoughts, and I hope they're a blessing to you. Okay? Before you ever go and talk with somebody about their sin, here's the deal, four things. They're pretty, they're pretty simple. Number one, always pray. Always talk to God before you have a conversation with someone else, before you confront somebody else about their sin. In other words, you know somebody in your men's group or your women's group or you know, whatever, your home group is goofed up with sin. Don't just run and have a conversation with them. If you drive into your home group and your spouse tells you about somebody else and sin and blah, 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 ah, you know, run in and grab the guy and take him in the backyard and have a conversation with him. Bad idea. Right motives. Bad idea. You always want to pray, talk with God first about that person. James says in chapter 5 that, the, uh, that when a believing person prays, great things happen. Something happens when you pray. You start talking with God about that individual. 
I have often uh, have scheduled an appointment with somebody. They're living in sin. Their spouse has contacted me. Hey, my husband, my wife, whatever it is. And now all of a sudden I call, make an appointment. That guy's coming in my office. They're coming in next Tuesday. They're goofed up with porn. Before that guy ever gets anywhere near my office, I have spent a lot of time praying for them. Because I know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. I'm not gonna change anybody's life. I, I don't have any pixie dust and I'm gonna sprinkle it over their heads, you know, in a hour meeting with me and they're gonna walk out, you know, all better. But I know the God who can transform their life. And I spend a lot of time talking with God about that soul before they ever come in my office. And a lot of times, beloved, God's already done the work. God's already done a, an unbelievable work long before I've ever met with them. Or God has prepared their their heart for that moment, I'm gonna talk with them. It's a weighty moment. And weighty moments need to be spent in prayer. You just don't run out and have a conversation with your spouse or your children or your parents and you haven't prayed for, for them yet. And so the first thing you need to do is pray. N number two, Always confront your own sin before you have a conversation with somebody else or you confront somebody else about their sin. <laughs> this one's hard. Because it's really easy to see the sin in somebody else's life. As I told you last week, man, I can spot your sin at 100 paces. But man, do I have a difficult time seeing my own. And before you ever start having a conversation with somebody else about their sin, you need to spend some time with the Lord saying, God, is there something in my life? Is there, is there something in my life that I need to deal with? Proverbs chapter 20 says, who can say I've kept my heart pure, I'm clean, I'm without sin, and the answer is nobody. That's Romans chapters one through three. Nobody. We're all gonna stand before the judge and we're all gonna be guilty because of our sin. And so we need to do what Lamentations chapter three says, let us examine our ways and test them and then let us return to the Lord. In other words, spend some time with God. He already knows about all the junk in your life. The, the problem is, is that you don't, you don't see it. And so when you say, God, here I am, it's just you and I, what, what do I need to deal with? Then the Lord in a very loving way will tell you about your sin and you deal with your sin first. Jesus talked about dealing with the log in your own eye before you ever go out and try to deal with the speck in your spouse's eye or your children's eye. And the illustration I want to give you is this. Is, uh, you, you may have a drinking problem. You're a slave to a clear liquid. You care more about a guy named Jack and a guy named Jim than you do your own spouse. You're a slave to a clear liquid. Your spouse knows it and your kids know it. But you're also dad. 
And so here comes this moment when you've got to confront your boy on some sin in their life. They're acting up at school. They're not doing their homework. They're disobeying mom, whatever it might be. And here you are, and you sit down with them, and you're now confronting them on their sin. <laughs> and they know you're a drunk. It doesn't have a whole lot of impact. It's just kind of this crazy thought. You're sitting there in front of your son, talking to him about you know, his sin, and you got this ginormous log in your own eye. And one of the things that would be helpful in a moment like that is if you spent time saying, God, I understand I got a problem. Everybody knows it. And I haven't done anything about it. Pastor Rick gets up, talks about, you know, celebrate recovery all the time. Let us pray for you. And I never go. I'm never there. Just keep drinking. Just keep blowing it. And now I got to go talk with my boy about his sin. That ought to break it right there. But you're still dad, and you know what? You're not perfect. Nobody is. And so you still got to be a parent. So you sit down with your son. And before you ever start getting into his sin, why don't you just go, hey, listen, son, I got a problem. I need to talk to you about it. Your old man's got a drinking problem. And you've seen it. And I'm sorry. I need to ask for your forgiveness. And I'm going to get some help. You pray for your dad. But here's the deal. I'm still your dad. And I need to now talk to you about something going on. I don't like how you're treating your mother. Take the garbage cans out. Do better in school. Whatever, whatever it is. That will have a far greater impact when you acknowledge your own junk than just to start lambasting somebody else and their sin when you've got a big glaring sin in your own life. Does that make sense? Now look, if the only people that could confront somebody are those that are perfect, then there'd be no confronting going on. God would never ask us to do that because we all have to deal with our flesh. But before you ever deal with somebody else's sin, you always want to pray, and then you always want to say, God, I, I need to deal with mine. Before I ever have one of those weighty conversations in my office with somebody, I spent time going, God, man, here I am. What is it, what is it about my life, Lord? What's an area of my life that needs to look more like you? Because frankly, I, I got... Uh, I don't always love people the way I'm supposed to. I don't always treat others the way I'd want to be treated. I don't, I don't live this out perfectly. There are times I'm so bummed out by my attitude or my actions or my thoughts. Some things sometimes come out of my mouth that I just go, what? It's like two ounces but it's a beast. And there are times when it just, and I just, and I just go, wow, that was ugly. And it's usually I hurt somebody that I love the most. I don't always do it perfectly. But I try to spend some time saying, God, help me. What is it about my life forever? Go and talk to you about yours. <laughs> N number three, Always confront sin in a way that brings honor and glory to God. 
Paul says, so whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, which would include whatever you do would include whatever you do. And if part of it is I'm going to go talk to my spouse or my son or my daughter or somebody about their sin, that would be a part of whatever you do. You're to do it to God's glory. That's the, that's, the, that's the deal. That's the mindset that you do it at. You pray, you deal with your own sin, and then say, okay, God, I want to do this to your glory. And then number four, always confront sin with a gentle and a humble spirit or attitude. And that goes back to the Galatians passage. <laughs> Think about this. You're going to talk with somebody else about their sin and you got plenty of your own, that's a weighty thing. And you're to do it with great humility. You're to do it with great gentleness. Because today you're having a conversation with somebody else about their sin, but tomorrow's a new day. And it might be you that somebody needs to have a conversation with you about your sin. See? So you always want to go into it with a, just this loving, gentle attitude. Now, what's the goal of con confronting somebody in sin? And I'm going to end with this. Our brother Peter said, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. And we all do that at times. We all slip and do dumb things, unbelievable. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I'm holy. Here's the whole goal of it. The goal is holiness. That's why you're talking to them about their sin. It's not to make your family look better. You're embarrassing the family. That might be a byproduct of it. But God wants his church to be holy. And when somebody in the church is not living in a holy way, then we go. We pray, we deal with our own sin, we, we, we come with this attitude of wanting to glorify God and, and then say, oh, you know, Lord, I just, I just want them to live in a holy way. God wants his church holy. What's interesting is, in the book of Acts, when the church was birthed, there's all these wonderful things that People who write church growth books love to talk about all these wonderful things that were going on in the church, but the one thing that they leave out, all of them, I've not found one book that zeroed in on this, that there was a moment, the church is brand new, and so here's this moment where God is unveiling this beautiful thing, and man, they were, you know, all gathered around the you know, the disciples' teachings, and they were breaking bread together, meeting in homes, all this fellowship was going on. These are all wonderful things. But there came a moment in a church service, everybody's gathered together, and a couple came in by, Anna, by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And they lied. And God killed them right in the church service. Right there, as the church was being birthed, a family came in, Actually, Ananias came in, he lies, he's dead. Three hours later, it tells us, 
uh, Ananias came in. That's a long church service. Don't ever be angry because we go long here. Okay, that was a long church service. Ananias comes in, uh, the, the, uh, Sapphira came in, the wife, and now she's taken. Now imagine if in the Modesto B tomorrow, it said, yeah, Big Valley Grace, four people died. They were in sin. And at the house, eight people passed away because they got more sinners down there. And... Uh, <laughs> And now imagine, that, that doesn't sound like something that would grow the church, does it? That the outside world, the unbelievers, man, there are people dying in those, those places. God was trying to tell us something right out of the gate. I want my church to be holy. And by the way, I think it was the holiness of the church back there back then, that was one of the things that was drawing people to the church because the church was growing at an exponential rate. It's unbelievable how the early church grew and a part of it was there was a commitment to holiness because you didn't go to church. You, didn't, you weren't a part of that, man. If you were gonna you know, end up dead. In fact, one of the very first things that Jesus talks about when he talks about the church, do a little research, is in Matthew 18. And he says, here's the deal. Somebody in the church is sinning, you go to them. You have a conversation with them. If they turn, praise the Lord, you want a brother. If they don't turn, because Jesus wants holiness in his church, take another person or two with you. Have a conversation with them about it. If they turn, man, praise the Lord, you want a brother. If they don't, bring them to the church. and Throw them out, basically. Treat him like an unbeliever or a tax gatherer. So one of the very first moments when Jesus talks about the church, it's in the context of confronting sin. Because Jesus wants his church to be holy. It has to be different than the world. Yes, we open up our doors to anybody. Anybody is welcome here. But the reality is, if you become a part of God's family, you give your life to Christ, and you put yourself under the authority of the elders of this church, we care about the holiness of the church. And so we will have conversations with you about sin in your life. And it's something that we all need. Over in the venue stand, everybody in here wants to stand up. Let me, let me close in prayer here. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, today. I, I just really have enjoyed this a bunch, Lord. I love coming and being around your people. And I'm glad that the sheriff is here and the undersheriff is here. That's just really great. I hope they can stick around next hour, at least through the prayer part. And it was great last night praying and today praying. Lord, thank you that we had a chance to give and celebrate your goodness to us by bringing a gift to you. Lord, I pray for those that will head over to prime time. May they just have a great time in there together. Lord, thank you for the word of God, because without it, I got nothing to talk about. We got nothing to sing about. We got nothing to celebrate. But we can come and celebrate because we're not under any condemnation anymore because of you. 
Jesus, thanks for being a good God, a great God, a loving God. And I pray this in your name and all the God's people said, amen. If you've got children, go get them real quick. Go get your kids. Go, go, go.